This is former NFL wide receiver Mark Clayton of the Baltimore Ravens and St. Louis Rams. And you're listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. Welcome to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ken Crippen, and I'm the founder and lead instructor at the Football Learning Academy, an online school teaching pro football history. To learn more about the Football Learning Academy, go to our website at football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all podcast episodes, but you'll find fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the Football Learning Academy go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. If you like what you hear with this or any of our episodes, give us a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform. It helps us grow our podcast so that we can continue to bring you quality content. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor for our show, email us at admin at football-learning-academy.com to talk about the various options available to you. Now on to our episode. Today's special guest is David Kitchen, former NCAA strength and conditioning coach who now runs Edge Leadership Academy. Coach Kitch has worked with over 100 NCAA teams and businesses coaching and developing culture. In addition to delivering keynote addresses and hosting workshops, he has authored multiple books. Coach Kitch is a Susquehanna University graduate with experience coaching and leading in both athletics and business. He has spent the last 10 years coaching teams and developing culture in his role as a strength and conditioning coach. His stops include institutions at the Division I, II, and III level. He holds a master's degree with a focus in sports psychology and is currently completing his PhD in developmental psychology. He spends his life helping others answer the question that most people shy away from, what if you went all in? For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we discussed that January 28th, 1922 day when the Green Bay Packers returned their franchise back to the NFL. Now let's get to our interview with David Kitchen. I'd like to welcome David Kitchen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. How are you doing today, Coach? I'm doing phenomenal, Ken. Thanks for having me, man. I was I know we talked a little bit off, off camera before about how important it is to share the game and, and share our stories of the game. So I'm, I'm excited to do this, brother. I'm definitely happy to have you here. So let's start with your journey before you got into uh, the leadership philosophies. What was life like growing up as the future coach Kitch? Yeah, so I was football has been part of my life my entire life, honestly. Um, So from a young age, man, I was I was fortunate to grow up in Berwick, Pennsylvania. Uh, So anybody that is, you know, a high school football fan is, is familiar with Berwick. Uh, multiple national championships, you know, six or seven state championships, uh, always on the max preps list and all the different all the different football lists that come out. Um, and so, you know, I was indoctrinated into this culture of football and the brotherhood and what it meant to be successful and what it meant to work hard and what it meant to be a team player uh, at a really young age. And, and it gave me this outlet for me um, coming from a single parent household gave me this environment where I had brothers and I had, uh, you know, a father figure, multiple father figures as coaches. And so it was, it was always part of my journey, man. It was, it was, uh, the place where I got to let loose and, and be myself, you know? So I grew up in that program, had the opportunity to be a good player on a great team. Um, and so that gave me the opportunity to play in college and it gave me, 
you know, the, the um, opportunity to advance my career, advance my education. Uh, and I wouldn't have had any shot at going to college if it wasn't for football. Um, and so I was fortunate to be recruited by Susquehanna University. Um, and I am kind of the Friday night sob story where my junior year, I was, I was a, a like I said, a good player on a great team. Um, and I had, you know, interest and opportunities coming in from low level division one schools. And I thought that's where I was going to go. And then about three days before my senior season, I, I blew my knee. Um, and so obviously, as we, we all know, man, it's, it's a business at the end of the day and nobody wants a, an offensive or defensive lineman with a, with a bum wheel. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of re, um, readjusted what, what my sights were as far as the college level and, and what was realistic for me. Um, and so, I ended up getting an opportunity at Susquehanna, like I said, with Coach Steve Briggs, um, who was absolutely phenomenal man and and a mentor of mine to this day, uh, brought me in and and you know unfortunately I, I didn't handle it well. I wasn't mature enough, um, wasn't ready to to be in that situation, be in that environment, and so I never started a game as a college player. Um, not a single one, man. Came in as a top recruit, a guy that they didn't think they would have a shot at, so they were excited to bring me on campus and was just a nightmare off the field, was injured on the field. Um, but it led me down this path of having to figure out who David was, you know, instead of just who is Kitch, the football player, because I had been Kitch, the football player my whole life. And so now it was like, now you got to figure out who David is because you're not getting it done on the field. You're not getting it done academically. Um, you know, that part of it is is changing. And so uh, going into my junior year, I was medically disqualified after my third knee surgery. And so now it was like, okay, well, what do I do now? You know, now all of a sudden I'm I'm without this game that I've I've spent my entire life and modeled my entire identity around. Um, what do I do? And I got into IT sales when I graduated college uh, and started selling cloud solutions to small businesses. And it is about as exciting as it sounds. <laughs> Um, and it did not take me long to realize that that is not where I was meant to be. Um, and so I had a former coach call me say, Hey, I'm taking over this small program. It's a small private school, private high school. We're looking for somebody to come in and just run the off season training program for the kids. And I know you're a weight room guy. Would you like to do it? I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I come over and I, I start running the program and about two weeks into it, I realized I want to coach. And I want to be around. And so his offensive and defensive line coach stepped away and said, and he came to me and said, Hey, would you want to step into this role as well and stick on, stay on for the season, be the O-line D line coach. I was like, absolutely. And uh, that, that lit the fire, man. That was the beginning of, that was the first domino to fall. Uh, so flash forward after the season, I sat down and I wrote a handwritten letter to every division one school on the East coast. And I said, I will quit my job and come work for you for free if you give me an opportunity to come and learn how to be a strength and conditioning coach and learn how to, to train athletes. Um, and Robert Morris university answered back, gave me a shot. And, and so I quit my job, man. I loaded everything I had in my Jeep, moved into an apartment where they only take cash for rent. So you can imagine what kind of neighborhood that is. And, and uh, I went to work, man. I got the opportunity to, to be around division one college athletics and be in the weight room every day, training these athletes and, learning the cultures and learning the leadership. And that launched a 10 year career that took me all over the country, every level from division three to division one, um, gave me the opportunity to be the youngest head strength coach in the country at 24 years old. Um, and then also gave me the opportunity to be the youngest uh, guy in, in division one when I got there. And so, 
you know, I got to coach at UNLV. I got to to spend time at Georgia Southern. Um, and it was an absolute blast and an absolute honor uh, that I got to end my career by coming home to my alma mater and, and being the head strength coach there to round out my my 10-year career in college strength and conditioning. So that was that's a long-winded answer to a short question, but I feel like it's so important because it tells you who I am. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard you mention before elsewhere that someone else's survival guide or your story can be someone else's survival guide. And I guess you kind of alluded to that a little bit in the injuries that you had, how it impacted you, how it changed your career. And that message can be used for basically anyone. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that philosophy? Yeah, I just, for a long time, Ken, I didn't talk about my past. Uh, for a long time, I didn't talk about my childhood, growing up in a single-parent household. Um, I didn't talk about my college experience. You know, I, I just, I didn't want to talk about it. And then I started to share more of that. And what I realized was people can learn from it because we all have a story and we all have these storms that we go through in our life that when you put all the pieces together, they add up to this beautiful person that you are now, right? And this this, this beautiful uh, set of experiences and values that you have now. But if we don't ever share them, then we can never help other people with it, right? And so when I became a coach, um, I felt this responsibility, you know, that I had to share my story. I had to share the mistakes that I had to, that I made. I had to share the, the things that I had to endure and what I realized was the kids that I was coaching and the young men and young women at the time that I was coaching gravitated towards that. And they started to rely on those things. And they were like, hey, coach, this helped me get through X, Y, Z. Right. And so if I saw a kid that was, you know, had potential and, and there's several that come to mind that was straying off the path, I could go and talk to them and say, hey, listen, this this is what I went through. I'm not telling you what to do. It's your life. I'm just telling you what I went through. And I'm telling you the things that I felt on the other side. And I'm trying to give you, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm trying to give you some advice and give you some experience to lean on so that you can learn from the mistake without making the mistake, right? Because I see the track that you're on and I know where it leads because I've been there. And so if you can make the U-turn now, then it saves you the heartache. It saves you all the things that I had to go through, all the things that I did. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I think it's so important for us as humans um, to share our story. And I do that now as a speaker as well. You know, I brought that from, from the coaching world into what I do in the business world. I, I am, I say I show up scars and all because I want people to know who I am, where I came from, why I'm standing up here talking about what I'm talking about. Um, and if I can save somebody the hard lesson, then that's great. You know, and, and, and if it gives somebody a slice of hope to say, Hey, this guy came from a single parent household he overcame these things. You know, he saw, you know, his, his family saw addiction at a young age. He watched his brother go through a cancer battle. He lost the game of football. He got hurt. He did all these. If he can do all that and still be standing and, and, and still be up here doing these things with a smile on his face, um, then maybe I can make it one more day too. Right. And then one day turns into two, turns into five. And, and then we have another success story on our hands. Yeah. I mean, I think that's great that not only can you use your story as inspiration for other people, but like you said, you know, there's mistakes that are made along the way. We're all human. We all make mistakes and what we can do to try to help out other generations. I think it's our responsibility, like you said, as human beings to, to do what we can to, to help others. So I think that's both of those philosophies are great. 
Now, you're with Edge Leadership Academy right now. You founded that academy. So talk to me a little bit about what you do, why you started it, how did you transition from strength coaching to leadership coaching? So talk to me about that journey. Yeah, it, it's uh, it started early in my coaching career. Um, and, and I'm sure as somebody who's been around the game, you, you understand the need for leadership, right? And so we used to hear from coaches, from pro scouts, from everybody, we need more leaders. We want more leaders. We want people to step into leadership roles. And I grew up in a, in a household, like I said, it was a single parent household. Uh, so you learn very quickly. You don't complain about things unless you have a solution. And so this, I started to search for the solution. And that meant getting a master's degree in sports psychology. It meant building leadership curriculums and leadership development programs within the, the teams that I was a part of. Um, it meant forming mentorship groups and all these different things that I did. And it all kind of came to a head my last year in coaching or my last year in division one. Anyways, I had a young man come in my office and he was the best leader I'd ever coached. Ken best hands down, not even close. And he came in and he said, coach, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. And he said, listen, I've been the best player on every team I've ever been on. And everybody's always telling me to lead, but nobody ever taught me how. And I was like, wait a minute, this guy is the best leader that I've ever coached. And he feels like he doesn't know what he's doing. So if he feels that way, it's just like a high school teacher, right? If somebody has a question, there's probably five other people in the room that have that same question. Mm -hmm. And so that was the, the light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh, there's a lot of young men and young women and probably professional young men and, and women and probably people in the corporate space that feel this way, that feel like they don't have the tools to lead. And so I started to throw around this idea of, of teaching leadership and it came, the opportunity came up during the pandemic um, to either accept the contract extension or to go my own way. And I decided to go my own way and, and step out and launch edge leadership Academy and started by just putting out free content. And, and helping people, you know, develop some skills to be leaders, um, started working on my PhD in psychology, I wrote a book, and then, you know, flash forward about a year, and I'm simplifying a little bit, but flash forward a year, we had a full blown business. Um, we had, you know, 35 NCAA programs that we were working with, um, teaching leadership skills and teaching um, culture and culture development, coaching the coaches, um, doing all these things that are so important to build not only great teams, but great people. And that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to help people lead and win in business, in athletics, in life. Like that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, so now what we do with Edge is, is we travel the country and it's a split between our corporate sector, which is, you know, management training. We do executive coaching. We do leadership training within that space. We also do a lot of work um, with corporate cultures and how to build a successful culture within that um, and so we do that. We do keynote addresses. Then on the athletic side, we do leadership development programs. We do culture courses for the team. So we get teams together and we might do eight workshops over the series of a semester um, or half a season or whatever, you know, whatever works for that organization where we come in and we build the culture and we help them understand what it means to be a leader within that culture, what they want it to look like. Uh, and then, like I said, we do coach the coaches, which is which is always so fun for me. Uh, to spend time because as coaches, we sometimes forget the impact that we have on our next generation and on the men and women that we coach. And so it's so important for me to always have my hand in the athletics world because it's what shaped me into who I am. 
Um, so one of my favorite pieces that we do is our summer campus tour, uh, where we trade, we travel the country during the summer and we go to different universities and we work with their teams or their coaches, whichever, um, is, is more open to the opportunity and more wants to, wants to work with us. And we'd spend the entire day with them talking about what it means to be a leader, how to build your leadership skills and what that looks like. Um, we've been fortunate to work with programs like the University of Miami football, uh, Northwestern men's basketball, a ton of Division II and Division III programs as well. Um, it's just been it's been a crazy ride, Ken. It's been a crazy, crazy ride, but I, I love what I do, man. Now, you launched this during the pandemic, correct? I mean, that took yeah. a lot of guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those moments where um, I, I'm a firm believer that your life comes down to a few big choices, right? And your ability to execute in those choices in those moments. Like, I think there's pivot moments in our lives. And I think that was a pivot moment for me where it was like, I can continue on this train of coaching and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat and do that. Or I can step out on my own. I can bet on myself and I can try and really do something that might change the world. And, and again, I know that's a drastic statement to say change the world, but if I can put some good into the world and if I can step out and, and impact people to, to be the leader that the world needs, cause we're in a leadership crisis. Um, and so if I can step out and be one of the driving forces for good, then it's selfish for me to not bet on myself and go do that. Now, I know that uh, as you were getting started with leadership, uh, Edge Leadership Academy, you also had a side gig with a, a large gym. Can you tell me about that experience? Oh, you did your homework on me, Ken. You did, you did your homework. Uh, yeah, I, I got started. And, and like I said earlier, you know, Edge was successful um, pretty quickly. And, and a big part of that was because of the the network and the reputation I had built in the coaching community. Um, so I was able to launch pretty quickly. And and I thought I was the king of entrepreneurs. And so I uh, got involved in a in a 22,000 square foot performance facility um, in Northeast PA. And I opened it with a business partner and we partnered with a nonprofit organization. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. I'd, I'd never run a private gym in my life. Um, I knew coaching. I knew athletes. I knew how to build athletes. I knew how to, to, to make, um, you know, programs and, and, and build performance and, and have the right equipment and do all, I knew all that stuff. But when it came to the day to day of running a facility and payroll and understanding, you know, all that side memberships and, and that was not me. Um, and so when my business partner, stepped away because he had three other very successful facilities. And so he was like, dude, I, I don't have time to to continue to do this. Um, so he stepped away. No hard feelings. It was a great move for him. Um, his business is thriving, but it kind of left me figuring it all out. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, I don't know what to do now. Um, and it just turned into this thing where it was taking so much of my time, so much of my resources, so much of my mental space, to try and keep this place going that my other businesses and the other things I was involved with were really struggling, including my mental health. Um, and I remember just hitting a wall Ken, you know, I, I got to a point where I was having panic attacks and I ended up getting diagnosed with, a de with depression and anxiety. Um, but it was a result of just burnout and I was just taking on too much and I was trying to do too many things at the same time. Um, 
And so, yeah, we opened and closed. I'm probably the only person in history to open and close a 22,000 square foot facility in 11 months. Um, so less than a year it was open and, and uh, it, it was it was interesting, man. But you know what? I met so many great people through it. And some of those people now I work with through through Edge Leadership Academy. And some of those people are our clients and some of the parents of the, of the kids that I I worked with, our business owners that are now clients of ours. And so, you know, it was it was the right move at the time. It was just a hard lesson I had to learn that, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And just because you don't know, it doesn't mean you should just go do it. What leadership lessons did you take from that experience? Humility, first and foremost, um, humility. And then the other thing was I didn't do a great job at that point of letting people do their jobs and just get out of the way, you know, and, and um, I should have done a better job at that. The other thing was just the importance of communication, which was something I already knew, right? But just being clear all the time on what's important, what are the priorities, how do we measure those priorities, how are we going to execute on them? Um, because you got to think we had in the layout of the gym. So we were managing the upfront was like a normal traditional weight room, right? Then in the back was fields that we rented out. So they were almost a full-size soccer field. Um, we had that. And then we also had boxing area. We had spin. So cycling, we had batting cages and then we had a turf area as well for like group fitness classes. So all these moving parts are happening at the same time. And we just weren't communicating well. That's on me as a leader. Like that was on me as, as not finding the better system um, for keeping people on the same page and keeping people moving forward and making sure that we were all supporting each other. Everything kind of was siloed off and, and operating on its own. And that was not the correct way to approach that. Um, it should have been one big system working together and it wasn't. Um, and so that was on me as a leader. So there was, there was, every day was a new leadership lesson. Um, when you walk in and, and the roof is, is leaking and the, and the floor is flooding and that's a leadership lesson you know, of, okay, now what do we do? How do we pivot our day? Right. Because now this piece of the gym that's supposed to be being used for these classes and these different things now has to be used for something else or can't be used at all on that day. So how do we pivot the schedule? How do we get creative with what we're doing? Right. How do I problem solve, but then still maintain the fact that I have to smile as soon as our clients start walking in the door. Right. I can't show them that I just spent the last 20 minutes mopping or 30 minutes mopping, trying to keep the equipment from getting destroyed. Right. I have to be all smiles because they're paying for that experience. Um, and so that's a leadership lesson in and of itself. Right. Is that uh, it's a 24 seven job and and you don't you don't get the the luxury of solving one problem and then saying, hey, my day's good. I'm, I'm done for the day. Right. It's on to the next. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was filled with leadership lessons and it was it was a great experience. It really was as much as I, I joke about it as as being the boogeyman in, in my um, business career. It also was was such a, a great experience for me because it forced me to grow up as an entrepreneur. Yeah, and I think you know you mentioned something in there of you know you always have to have that smile on when the customers are there, but also you know leading your team itself that if you're riding a roller coaster of emotions, they're going to ride it right along with you. So I think that's an important leadership lesson as well is you can't just start freaking out because something's happening. You got to maintain your cool so that everybody else maintains their cool and they can figure out the solution to the problem. There's, there's no doubt it's, and people look for that in leaders, right? Like when we look for somebody to follow, we look for emotional stability. We look for somebody that can maintain a baseline and almost to the point where we can predict how they're going to react in certain situations and how they're going to act in certain situations. And so it's so important 
um, to model that behavior for your team and, and show, you know, like one of the greatest examples of it was uh, a couple of years ago, it was when Brad Butler was the head coach at Xavier uh, and they made a couple of runs into the, into the sweet 16. And I think they made the elite eight or final four one year. Um, but they showed him, it's just two side-by-side clips. One was a game winning, a game winning last second shot. And one was one where they lost on a, on a last second shot. And you could not tell the difference between because his reaction was the same, right? Next play, next next second, like next segment. Um, and I think that to me is is so telling for for leaders. Like you have to be able to maintain and be consistent in the way that you do it. So one of the things we tell our our people all the time is you got to be the constant, not the variable. That's mm-hmm. yeah, definitely great advice. So now after the gym, uh, you're back at Edge full time at this point, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, do you still do any strength coaching at all, or is it just a hundred percent edge leadership? Yeah. At this point I've stepped away from, from coaching altogether. Um, I, I joke about it. I have, I have some roommates. So there's actually six of us that lived in a college house, um, when I was in school and five of us are coaches, uh, three of us made it to the division one level and two of them are, are still, um, they're in the Ivy League at Princeton, and and so one's the offensive coordinator, pass game coordinator. The other one's the run game coordinator. Um, and so that we were all college teammates. So I always joke and say the only way I'll ever be back is with those guys. Uh, if we need to do a reunion tour, if we got to get the band back together, I'll <laughs> I'll step back in. But other than that, no, I've 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 hung up the whistle, um, <laughs> so to say. And you know, it was a tough decision, Ken. It really was. Um, it got to the point where. I just, I want to make such an impact in this world and I want to help so many people. Um, And coaching at a university requires so much and it's not fair to be half in, half out. And and so I've always said, if I can't do something full speed, I'm not going to do it at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was time for me to make that decision and say, hey, no, you know what? It's time for me to, to, to just focus on edge. Let's get into some of your leadership philosophies. I know that you believe that leaders are built, not born. Tell me about that philosophy. Yeah, I, I think that is, um, well, first off, it's the thing, it's the the concrete behind our, our entire company. Um, it's what we believe from, from a top-down approach and everybody in the company is bought into that. And for a couple of reasons, you know, one, if you look at leadership as a whole, it's a set of skills. It's It's not a character trait. It's not a uh, personality trait. It's not a set of letters on a personality test or anything like that. It's it's a set of skills. Um, and so if it's a set of skills, skills can be built and skills can improve over time. They can also decrease over time if you don't practice them, right? So that's the first clue. And then the second thing to me is I look anecdotally and I look at experience, experiences and, and experientially at some of the things that I've been through and some of the people that I've been around, um, whether it's my own story, becoming a leader. Like if you think about it, I, I was born to no father. I had no father growing up. I didn't experience male leadership until high school um, when I had you know high school coaches. And now all of a sudden I'm a PhD candidate teaching leadership to, to corporate environments. Like that's built. That's not born, right? I wasn't born into that. Um, and so I think I'm a walking example. I think my business partner is the same. He has a similar story. Um, and so I look at these things and I'm like, there's just no evidence that you have to be born with them. Do I think that there are people that are born with certain skills that predispose them to be good leaders? Absolutely. 
Um, I think I was lucky. I think I, again, on both sides of the scale here, right? On paper, I shouldn't be a leader. If you look at it, though, I was born with a certain charisma to me, a certain outgoing type of personality. When I'm not afraid of being on stage. I'm not afraid of being around people. Um, and so I think that people are born with certain skills. There are certain traits, I should say, that that would in, would lend themselves to leadership. But I don't think that you're born a leader. You know, I think I think that that is just something that you have to build over time. So that's why we we base everything off of that this set of skills. Yeah, and I think that's important is that, you know, some people do have that charisma and that makes it naturally easy to be able to connect with that person and being able to connect with them and trust them is one of the bases. Um, one of the foundations of being able to be a leader is to right. build up that trust. So, yeah, I think, you know, both of those are part of that, that if you don't have, say, a natural charisma, it's going to be a lot more difficult to be able to build something like that up and build that trust. So, yeah, I think you're right where you need to need to kind of have both of those and, you know, to be effective as a leader. And, and again, you can you can build into them. Right. So. Mm-hmm. I've been around some introverted people that are phenomenal leaders. You know, I, I don't think it has to be um, a one size fits all approach, right? Like it's more like finding what's your leadership style um, and great cultures have multiple leadership roles within them. Right. So if you think about on, you know, a basketball or a football team, um, the the primary role that we think of is the heat seeker, right? We think of the guy that's willing to have the hard conversations, that charismatic outspoken leader, well, that's just one role. What about the thermostat? What about the guy who leads by example and just sets the tone and isn't wavered by outside or isn't influenced by outside influences at all? Like that's a leadership role. You know, he may be more introverted. Maybe he doesn't talk. He just shows up and works, right? So that's a leadership role. What about the guy that communicates between the coaching staff and the players or or the NFL PA and the players? Well, that's to me, that's an extension. That's We call them extension core, right? That's somebody that extends things out. That's a leadership role. What about the guy that's a culture guy that leads in the locker room, that leads things the way they're supposed to be done? Well, that's a guardian of the standard, right? You have all these different leadership roles. And so I think it's just finding what your what aligns with your strengths and what comes naturally to you stepping into that and then building the toolbox around it so that you can now play multiple roles. Authenticity. Yeah. hundred percent. The the biggest thing is, you know, you've got to be authentic. If you try to be somebody that you're not, people are going to see through that and. Oh, they smell it. They feel it. They smell it and they feel it immediately. Now kind of piggybacking off of that. Why is character one of the most important traits in a leader? I mean, to me, it seems like common sense, but. Also, people think that, you know, they don't think about that as being an important characteristic of a leader. So talk about that. Yeah, no, it's the, it's the keystone. It's the thing that holds the whole system together. Um, so character shows up in so many different places from a leadership standpoint, whether you think about um, your social interactions, right, how you treat people, how you treat yourself, how you t- how you emotionally regulate. That's all based on your character. It's all based on. Um, what's important to you, right? And what you value in this world. The other thing that it shows up is in your habits. And what are people watching to see what kind of person you are? They're watching your habits. They want to know how you spend your time, right? And so your habits are telling people what's important to you. Your habits are a reflection of your character, 
you know? And so it shows up in all these different places. It shows up in your mindset. Are you somebody that's looking for opportunities to get better? Or are you somebody that's looking for, hey, this is the way we've always done it? Well, that tells people something. That's your character, right? That tells me about your ego. It tells me about what you're willing to, whether you're willing to be vulnerable or not. Um, that's a part of your character as well. So all of these things that play into leadership are reflections of your character, right? And then obviously there's the the obvious ones, which is like the ability to build trust, right? Can you be empathetic? Can you um, emotionally regulate when things get hard? How do you react to success? How do you react to failure? That's a reflection of your character, right? People want to see those things. And so the biggest thing that people are looking for is can you be bought? by emotion? Can you be bought by outside circumstances? Can you be bought when you're having a, a rough you know, sales quarter? Are you going to cut a corner to get some last minute sales? And you're, you know, all those things people are looking for. If you come out and you have a successful sales quarter, how do you treat everybody? Right? Because success buries just as many people as failure does, right? If not more. And so it's your ability to emotionally regulate through all those times that tells people what your character is and who you are. And if you have a vision, a mission, and a set of values, and you stick to those day in and day out over and over and over, people will naturally start to respect you because you're consistent and they know who you are and they know what you're doing and they know why you're doing it. And that's what people want. So when I talk about character as, as a piece of leadership, um, it's the first place that we start with every single client that we work with. It starts with character because Talent is is a dime a dozen. Luck is a dime a dozen. Character, that you got to earn, and you got to do the dirty work to earn it. Yeah, and it kind of gets back to that emotional roller coaster we were talking about before. If you know if you're all over the place, then it makes people makes it difficult for them to follow you and and know what okay what's going to happen. I see something bad coming down. Oh. This is going to be a bad day for us, that type of thing. You don't want to have to go through that as a team. Right. And and I I make the joke a lot when I talk with executives. I, I ask them, you know, who remembers their first date with their wife, right? And most people remember it very fondly. And they're like, oh, is this is that. So, okay, now imagine if on the second date you walked in the restaurant and she slung a plate at your head. Would there have been a third date? Maybe, maybe not, right? I said it's the same thing for us as leaders, though, because there's days where we come in and we treat our employees phenomenal. And then all of a sudden things get hard or we had a bad day or whatever, and we're inconsistent and we break that baseline and we treat that we, you know, proverb throw the proverbial plate at them or kick the proverbial dog, however you want to, you want to say it. All of a sudden we've built this level of inconsistency with consistency with them. That makes it really hard for them to trust us long-term. It mm. makes us really, it makes it really hard for them to see a future with us the same way you saw a future with your wife because she was consistent, because she was kind, she was gentle, she was all these, whatever the words are that you want to use. But she was that thing more than once. It was consistently who she was, right? And that's why you saw a future with that person. Because as humans, when we meet somebody, we ask ourselves three subconscious questions before we can even start a conversation. It's, are our goals aligned? What do you want from me? And am I safe with you? Those are the three things. And we answer those through our actions. Now, why is vulnerability also important for a leader? Because it's it's the same it's the same thing. You're showing your character. You're showing your because when we think about vulnerability, we think a lot about like the kumbaya stuff. Like, oh, we're gonna sit around and share our feelings. That's not what vulnerability is. Vulnerability is, you know, um, vulnerability is the Philly special, right? Being willing to take a big risk in a big moment. That's vulnerability. 
being willing to set boundaries and with your family, with your friends, with your employees, that's vulnerability, right? Vulnerability is innovating. Vulnerability is looking for opportunities to do things better. Vulnerability is asking for help. It's vulnerability is handing over control and building a team around you that you trust to do their job at a high level, right? All those things are vulnerability. Vulnerability is admitting your mistakes, right? And so all of those things are the things that create trust. All of those things are the things that create psychological safety. All of those things are the things that create an environment where people feel like they can be their best and they want to be their best. And they're not afraid to fail and make mistakes because they know that we're going to fail forward. We're going to learn from those mistakes and we're going to continue to move forward. The other thing is when you're vulnerable about all those things we just talked about, you invite the opportunity for constructive feedback on both sides. And now you have a team that's communicating. You have a team that's problem solving. You have a team that's innovating. You have a team that's looking for um, the best practices and the best ways to do things. You have a team that doesn't care who gets the credit. I mean, I'm not an expert, but that sounds like a winning team to me. Yeah, it does. So one of the things that uh, you do talk about is the five C's to be successful in life. What are they and how do they help you become successful? Yeah, they're they're all the things we've been talking about, Ken. So it starts with your character, right? In the first in the first piece, that's the first C. Um, it's knowing exactly who you are and exactly who you're not, and sticking to that. And it's it's why when we look at great head coaches or great CEOs, a lot of their press conferences sound like broken records because they don't deviate from who they are. How many times did Nick Saban say the process? How many times did Bill Belichick say do your job? Right? Those things because it's true because that's who they are. Right? They have a vision, a mission, and a set of values, and they stick to it no matter what. That's the first C is character. The second one is consistency. It's the way that you spend your day. It's the way that you spend your actions. It's the way that you react and act with things. It's the way that you um, approach your team. It's the way that you communicate. It's your ability to show up as the same person every single day. So I know that it kind of overlaps with character, but you'll see how character plays into each of them. Right. So character is the first one. Second one is consistency. And again, remember, people operate off of pattern recognition. And so if we can be consistent, we can build trust. Right. So that's that's a big one. Third one is commit is commitment. Right. Great leaders are committed to three things. They're create, committed to the people. They're committed to the vision and they're committed to the culture. Notice I didn't say the results because they're committed to those three things and they know that the results are a byproduct of being committed to those things. So if you want to be successful in life, it's your ability to commit to something using your vision, mission, and values, using your ability to be consistent. Then you pick your target and you go and you execute and you go after it relentlessly day after day after day. That's what great leaders do. They're committed, right? They're committed. Then we get the opportunity to be creative. And I'm going to ask you, you know, when we talk about Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, have you ever heard somebody say he managed his team to a Super Bowl win? No. Oh, he led them, right? He led them to a Super Bowl win. What about the companies that killed it during the pandemic and came out even stronger? Nobody says they managed them through crisis. They led them through crisis. Great leaders thrive in those creative moments, those moments that require um, pivots. They require split second decisions. They require all of these things, but they require what people don't see is what creates those creative moments. The reason you can make those creative decisions is because you know your team, you know your personnel, 
you know, you understand um, the industry and the market that you're in and what's coming down the pipe. And you're looking and you're seeing around corners ahead of time so that you can be creative. Leadership and creativity are almost synonymous in our language. When we think of those things, we always think of them together. So that's a, that's one of our C's, right? And then the last one is the one that everybody's always waiting for. And they're like, when's he going to say it? When's he going to say it? It's communication. It's your ability to communicate. It's your it's your ability to communicate your vision, your mission, your values, what's important, why it's important, um, your ability to give feedback and receive feedback, your ability to be an empathetic listener, your ability to have the right body language and manage your tonality. All of those things, to me, um, speak leadership and speak success, right? And, I, and that's something that um, I think we all know. But I think we overlook some of the pieces of communication, which are some of those things that I talked about, right? The body language, the tonality, the empathetic listening. I mean, it's more than just your ability to give a message. It's it's your ability to receive that message as well. And your ability to make sure that your audience is receiving it in the best way that that they can apply it. Now, I think it's important that leaders are always learning. So what do you do to grow and learn on a daily basis? <laughs> Yeah, I so every morning I read. I do I do what I call a launch sequence. Um, and the reason I call it that is when we talk about NASA, um, they don't just flip open a box and hit the red button and send a rocket in space, right? They say turn this system on, this system on. Okay, all systems go. Now we can launch in three, two, one. For us as humans, we roll out of bed and the first thing we do is grab our phone and launch into our day. We hit the red button immediately. And so one of the things that I do to take care of myself and to continue learning and leading is I have a launch sequence before I look at my phone. So I'll wake up, I get water in my body, I meditate, I journal, I read, I write something else, and then I'll connect with somebody that I care about. That's the first time that I touch my phone is connecting with somebody that I care about. Um, could be a voice message, could be a text message, whatever, could be a little quick video. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing that so that I can turn on all the systems that I want to turn on before I start my day, right? So those are some of the ways that I'm, I'm continuing to learn. The other thing is just exposing myself to the right people. I, I mean, it's, it's cliche and it's dumb, but, it, but it's so true. If you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And so for me, it's always seeking out rooms with people who make me feel dumb, to put it bluntly. Um, I want to be around people where I'm like, I got to I got to rewind in my mind what he just said to understand it because it didn't make sense. Um, so those are some things. The other thing is is just making sure my social circle stays strong. Right. And and that I'm learning from them. So, for example, me and two of my best friends got together. We do this every quarter and we go over, we get a hotel and we do nothing but talk and we meet and we talk about relationships. We talk about our, our mindset, our spirituality, whether it's religion or whatever faith you're following. We talk about what businesses we have open. We talk about um, our investment uh, strategies. We talk about all these things. So you think about I'm leaving a hotel with two of my best friends with five to eight pages of notes of things that I've just learned from them. Right. So making sure that I'm surrounded by those types of people. Um, is another is probably the most important thing that I do to continue to learn. How can people find out more about you, about your podcast, about what you're doing at Edge Leadership Academy, about your books? Tell me about <laughs> all of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's all it's all in one spot, man. We put it all on edgeleadershipacademy.com. Um, everything is there. We have a free newsletter on there that will give you access to all of the things that you just mentioned, um, as well as some free content that we're always giving away. 
The other thing is I'm on every social media at, at Coach D Kitch. Um, I keep it super simple. I'm on every single one as the same thing. Um, and then other than that, we also have the Built Not Born podcast, which is on Apple, Spotify, all your major streaming services. Um, the, the biggest driver for us, honestly, Ken, and, and connecting with people is just, you know, check out our socials, check out our, our podcast and get involved with the newsletter and, and get a taste for who we are. You know, we don't do the hard sell. Um, I just don't believe in it. I, I think I want to work with people that want to work with us, you know, and so we at our company, um, I don't call it sales. Like when we have meetings, we call it recruiting uh, because we treat it like like the college world, man. We want it to be the right fit and we want clients that are the right fit for us and we want to be the right fit for you. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of our, our you know, quote unquote sales pitch, um, but it's more of a recruiting pitch. Check us out. If we, if we vibe with you, we would love to connect and, and give you more value. Um, and if not, no harm, no foul. We'll point you in the direction of somebody that we feel is a better fit. Coach, thanks for being here. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Ken. I hope that you enjoyed our interview with David Kitchen, but we're not done. For the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week, we talk about the day that the Green Bay Packers returned their franchise to the NFL. That day was January 28th, 1922. But before we get to that, let's go back a little farther in Green Bay Packers history to set the stage. The Packers were founded on August 11th, 1919, but didn't join the American Professional Football Association, or what is now the NFL, until August 27th, 1921. The Packers were pretty successful over the first two years prior to joining the APFA, but that 1921 season was a bit of a struggle for them as they only went 3-2-1 and one for the season for sixth place in the league. The issue for the Packers was that they played a postseason exhibition game and allegedly used college players, which was forbidden under league rules at the time. Their franchise was revoked and was returned to the league on January 28, 1922. Curly Lambeau of the Packers appealed the decision to the newly named NFL. That name change happened on June 24, 1922, and the NFL backed down slightly. Lambeau had to pay a franchise fee of $50 to purchase a new franchise, which he named the Green Bay Blues, but everybody still called them the Packers. Now, they were back in the league, but they still faced difficulties. By the end of the season, the Packers were facing severe financial distress and were almost bankrupt. On August 18, 1923, the Green Bay Football Corporation was established and sold shares to the public. 1,000 shares were sold at $5 apiece, with each stockholder being required to purchase six season tickets. To date, they have had six stock sales in the corporation. Now, how did the league find out about the Packers using college players in the exhibition game in 1922? It was none other than rival George Hallis of the Chicago Staleys, which are now the Chicago Bears, that dropped a note to the league about the indiscretion. Thank you for listening to the official Football Learning Academy podcast. To learn more about the Football Learning Academy, go to our website at www.football-learning-academy.com. Not only will you find links to our social media channels and a listing of all podcast episodes, but you'll find other fascinating interviews and classes. And an important note, a portion of all proceeds generated at the FLA go to help retired players in need. That website again is www.football-learning-academy.com. If you like what you've heard with this or any of our episodes, give us a five-star rating and review on the podcast platform. It helps us grow our podcast so that we can continue to bring you quality content. And if you're interested in becoming a sponsor for our show, email us at admin at football-learning-academy.com 
to talk about the various options available to you. We'd love to talk to you about adding you to our team. Thanks for listening.